Dun, 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 dun. Is that going to be our cold open? Maybe. Maybe Walter can cut it right there. And... I love it. Welcome to Flyover Film Country. I'm Isaac Sims. I'm Olivia Clement. And today we're discussing Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, the seventh Mission Impossible movie. Olivia, you Isaac. stoked? Yeah, I'm stoked. Honestly, I've watched... This is the fourth Mission Impossible movie I've watched, period, ever. But also the fourth one I've watched this week. So, nice. <laughs> really excited about it. Isn't it? Isn't it something like watching, watching two back-to-back, but like let alone four? Yeah, it really is. Um, so, yeah, so we'll be talking about Mission Impossible. We're also going to hit on the writers and actors strike that's happening in Hollywood right now which we have not talked about at all so we have not talked about but uh you may have heard about it and so we're gonna talk about why they're doing it what that means all that and then we're gonna follow it up with us just chatting about what we've been up to what we've been watching so it'll be good going on we can check in olivia with your uh amc a-list stubs yes yeah that's a really important yeah two weeks i guess since you started it right it's been it's been about a month now actually as of like this recording and i guess probably when this this comes out it's probably been about a month yeah so nice yeah well let's you know what let's just dive right in let's let's jump off a cliff and paraglide right in yeah into a train down into a uh water-cooled vacuum that yes yeah holds a goober that holds a goober the whole time i was like this is just a goober the whole thing every time every, every movie it's just a goober i wonder if we can if we combine our uh, collective brain power if we can um remember exactly how many different people's pockets the uh cruciform oh, key is located it in was in throughout so the many movie. pockets yeah yeah so many pockets um, so many. okay so this movie seventh um kind of starts its own story and, and like there's some returning characters but mission impossible rogue nation and mission impossible fallout are kind of almost two parts of the same story because they include the same villain uh, mm-hmm. played by Sean Harris. And um, so concludes Mission Impossible with them saving the world from nuclear disaster. And there's a new villain in this one. And it's AI. Yep. AI is is the true villain yep. of, of our world right now. Let's just start there. Um, Isaiah Morales plays like kind of the um, the face of like the true apostle of this AI um, called the entity. They call it the entity throughout the movie. They say mm-hmm. the entity like a little bit too much. Um, the entity. I don't know if you thought entity. that. Um, but yeah, but what else were they going to call it? Yeah, AI? I, I thought they. I would rather them call it something like that instead of AI. So yeah, but. Um, pretty different um pretty different approach in terms of like having isai morales is a pretty formidable um villain but ai and this kind of like unknown force that seems to be interrupting the team's tactics throughout the entire movie 
is pretty interesting. So I, that's kind of where I wanted to start with you. Mm-hmm. We're going to get to all the fun stuff, but let's let's talk about the plot a little bit. How did you feel about the plot based now that these four are fresh on your mind? Mm-hmm. One. So did you watch one? I watched one. Five, six, uh, and seven. Five, six, and seven. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So um, Rogue Nation, Fallout. And then this one, Dead Reckoning Part 1. So, here's the thing. I really feel like none of the plots in these movies are just, like, stellar. You know, sure. like, like I, I think if you're going in with, like, it's going to be a fun action movie that's that's going to feel a little heisty, then, then that's what you get. And so, I don't think that this plot is much different than any of the other plots it's it's a goober you got to get and keep it out of the hands of the bad guys and if the bad guys get it it's going to be the end of the world and the good guys are trying to get you too yeah and the and the good guys are also trying to get you <laughs> i texted and you, you. Text, you had texted me about that yeah i, thought yeah, that was I was like so is every mission impossible movie just ethan hunt getting framed by his own government and (laughs) the rest of the world for something he absolutely had nothing to do with yeah and it is that's essentially the plot of every mission impossible movie which is great so what do you think about it i thought so i think that well first of all before we get to that um Wait, out of the ones that you've seen, what, which one was your favorite? Which one was your favorite and which do you think is the best? Mm, if those are, are if those are mutually exclusive. That's a good question. Oh man, I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't thought about that. Um while you're thinking, I'll kind of Okay. I'll kind of um elaborate on the that yeah. question and the, the yeah. my thoughts surrounding it. This movie has an interesting kind of retcon of Ethan's motives. And Isai yeah. Morales has a role. There are flashbacks with him killing an agent. Um, we don't know for sure, but we see, we assume that he's part of CIA and he loses his um, partner. Isai Morales kills her and then apparently gets framed um, for her death. And that's what leads to him in joining the IMF. So, okay, hold on. So yeah. none of that was included in three, two or three or four. That's correct. Okay. And that that was all kind of dropped back in. And so, I, and, and I didn't like that. I thought it could have been cut because there was already quite a plethora of like, mo- like emotional stakes involved that mm-hmm. you, you know, if you've seen five and six, but even... Even if you were coming in just for this one, you know that he cares about Ilsa and that he cares about his team. And it's mm-hmm. kind of it's kind of easy to pick up on. And then also the fact that there's just a lot of unanswered questions that you assume are going to be answered in part two about sure. where Isai Morales has been this whole time. If he like, right. just killed like what he was doing, what his background is. And that was the, that was one of the only like plot things for me in this movie that really stuck out like a sore thumb. And even Mm. though, like you said, these plots are pretty silly and, and nonsensical, this is, this is one exception where I felt like it stuck out a little bit more than usual. Um, just in terms of like, didn't really need that. 
because uh, mm. this is an, okay. almost a three-hour movie. Um, yeah. So it's pretty long. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't know that was, like, something they just added. Because when you go into, I think it's, it's Fallout, I think. They talk about his wife. Yes. And um, didn't know that person existed in other and two and three, I think. And so I was just like, okay, I guess he's got, he was married at one point. Okay. But had I watched them in order, obviously I would have known that, but I was just like, okay, maybe I missed something with, um, with the character of Gabriel in the, in two, three or four, but mm-hmm. I guess I, I did not. So. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so Michelle Monaghan plays his wife in three and she appears at the end of four and just just so you know i'll kind of fill this in because i've kind of taken you on a franchise trip with this in indiana jones you have i have and it's you know what it's about to end so you've been great (laughs) um you you do not have to accept the next mission okay You, you may choose not to accept okay um to the uh femme fatale is tandy newton she's a pickpocket thief Three, Michelle Monaghan and him are engaged, mm-hmm. and then she gets kidnapped by Philip Seymour Hoffman, and he has to go save her. And then four, stru- perfectly strikes. Four is directed by Brad Bird of of Incredibles. Of oh, the Incredibles, yeah. Um, and, and four is so good. You, you'll, you'll, okay. I know you'll get to four eventually, is just four because you like Brad Ghost Bird. Ghost Protocol. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I love Brad Bird. He directed The Incredibles and Iron Giant, which are two of my favorite movies from my childhood. So, um, which I had said to you before this, the the score, like the theme for Mission Impossible, definitely inspired The Incredibles score, yes. which I think is great. And I I didn't realize Brad Bird had directed Ghost Protocol, and so yep. I imagine he has been a big fan of Mission Impossible since it first came out. So. Oh, yeah. He was probably Absolutely. a fan of this show, I would guess, too. Yeah. The, our show? Our show, specifically. Yeah, that'd be um, sick. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Shout out to Brad Bird. Brad, if you're one. listening, come on the show. Yeah, just just let us know. So we can talk about the, the writer's strike. I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Oh, yeah. That'd be awesome. Um, Force perfectly finally figures out how to strike the balance, and you'll understand if you watch three. Three is extremely kind of it's it's too it gets too into ethan hunt's personal life okay and four finally strikes the balance of like here's the high stakes mm-hmm. but they instead of like here i gotta go save my wife it's more like hey my team is in trouble and i gotta save them and i gotta make sure that no one's gonna die because he's carrying that guilt and you understand mm-hmm. that and mm-hmm. then right at the end of four there's something that really cements the emotional component of the movie with his wife okay. Okay. so very very well done in f- with four that tone carries through what you see in five six and then this one okay so okay. if that makes sense yeah, yeah yeah that makes sense yeah um yeah so i i accept this mission okay good so th- will this message self-destruct in five seconds did you check the did you see how letterbox yes i was thing? gonna we bring that up this for a second yeah so, okay, so I noticed it Wednesday when I watched the first Mission Impossible. I just realized I've the past three days have been spent watching Mission Impossible, <laughs> which is great. Um, 
but I noticed it Wednesday. I logged it, logged that I had uh, watched it, and all of a sudden my screen ch- changes, and I was like, "Oh, what is happening?" I thought is my phone was like, "Yeah," and basically, if you log a Mission Impossible movie, I don't know how long they'll do this. They might do this forever. They might. It might just be during this run, but. Um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Do you remember how that has the flames the instead flame, of the stars? Yeah, it still has yeah. that. So they may carry this through with Mission. They Impossible. may carry it through. Um, but basically, it's it's like your screen kind of turns like the analog digital green that you see. It kind of has like I mean, it's obviously supposed to be Mission Impossible. It kind of has a Matrix feel to it. Yep. And it's got a. Do you remember what the message says? It says like uh, it basically says like you're intercepting. They intercepted. Um, classified or sensitive materials uh-huh. and this message is going to self-destruct and then it jumps there's in a countdown. and says there's a countdown yeah yeah and then it, it is interrupted and it says uh, IMF agent Hunt comma Ethan has intercepted or whatever so yep. it and was then, cool and then review publishing contact yeah. server, all that stuff very fun yeah. very cool love letterboxd get a letterboxd yeah no that was really cool so um okay uh okay so back to my question okay now that you've had some time to think about now it. i've had some time to think i man as in i'm one, thinking through in one way they get better and better and that's one reason why i wanted yeah. to talk about this because that's been the trend for the last couple of years when fallout came out in 2018 i left the theater just just thunderstruck by how thrilling and how well executed it was and that's one reason why um you know we could take or leave indiana jones if we could go back if we had a time machine um we could go back and maybe remove dial of destiny from the slate but i would have i would have kept um dead reckoning part one just because of the legacy the rare legacy that this franchise has for improving upon each successive Mm-hmm. Uh, or each um, following movie. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. So I think uh, I think right now Fallout might be my favorite. I'm curious to see how Part Two of Dead Reckoning change. I mean, kind of like we talked about with um, you know Across the Spider Verse is like it kind of feels like a Part Two, and so how is Beyond going to make me feel about uh, Across? And so I think that this is kind of a similar thing of like, how is part two going to make me feel about part one of Dead Reckoning? Um, this, I mean, I think that you're right that these movies do build really well on each other. And, um, you know, going from the very first one to um, Rogue Nation, which the, the villain in Rogue Nation and Fallout, uh, Sean Harris's character was really cool i really liked him because he he looks like just some nerdy guy but also he's terrifying Very evil <laughs> yeah. yeah he's like so evil and so whereas like sa morales like he kind of looks like a bad guy like yeah. with his haircut and his like with his like beard aging like fine wine but he looks oh like gosh. a bad guy handsome handsome he man. is so ha- also pretty much everyone in this movie is just like pretty like really attractive um, so I did not also, I found this out last night. Haley Atwell is 41. Yeah. 
Yeah, I figured. Oh, I was crazy. like, I was wondering while I was watching. I was like, she can't be in quite in her late thirties, but I don't think she's quite to your, her mid forties. Yeah. yeah. So. Anyway, I saw that last night on Twitter, and I was like, wow, man, she looks great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, yeah. So I think right now, Fallout is is probably my favorite. But there were so many times while I was watching this movie, which these movies are so much better in theater, like watching them at home versus like watching this in the theater. Like I was way more stressed, I think, while watching this one. And maybe because the stakes were a little bit higher in this one. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But um, like when they were on the train, the whole time I was like, there's a part two. They are going to survive. But when they were on the train in Dead Reckoning, I was just like, how are they going to do this? How are they going to get yeah. out of this? There's no way. Um, when they're going like, through the tunnel and it, they're, yes. it's like, they're going to come out of the tunnel pretty soon. And they're just in the tunnel for like almost for two or three minutes. Ever. Really yeah. stressful. It was so stressful. And I was just like, which made me think of like the, the tunnel scene in the first one um, with the helicopter, which was also so stressful. I was watching that. Yeah. I was like, how are they? First of all, how did they even fit that yeah. helicopter into that that um so like you know that i mean it's in my mind it's unrealistic i don't actually know if that's realistic or not i don't know anything about helicopters or trains because i live in oklahoma and we don't have high speed trains like that there, you know it's just it is suburban just just flat as far as the eye can see as, as far as the eye can see yeah. um until you get to like northeastern Oklahoma, which is basically Arkansas, um, and that's about it. So that's about it. That is about it. This is a podcast usually about places off forgotten by Hollywood, but we're talking about Mission Impossible in this one. We're talking about Mission Impossible. Listen, this is the summer of blockbuster movies. Okay, we're in like, our summer hot girl we're summer in our, season. We're on summer vacation. Yes, and so yes, because are. of that, we are hitting on blockbuster movies that have nothing to do with flyover country yeah. so what do you think about tom cruise <sighs> i have such mixed feelings about him <laughs> such mixed feelings like i love so many of his movies but i hate everything about his like beliefs <laughs> yeah so i just um yeah. He's kind of redeemed, not not redeemed himself for like things that have happened in the past, but he was never. I mean, like in 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 a way, he's been as controversial as someone like Chris Pratt because because of like their religious sure. beliefs, but then also his kind of impl- the implosion of his relationships have have been front and center, but also he's never been someone quite as problematic, even as like Brad Pitt. I would say sure sure um or john or certainly not johnny depp and yeah he's regained a lot of his public um support and love because of this just com- like his complete identity is his movie making and specifically mission impossible mm-hmm. and top gun um going back to last year um but he's like he's really he's played an incredible role in kind of keeping movies afloat and then also Mm -hmm. like he is a brand unto himself and his love of movie making is so pure that i think that's kind of earned him more like public support for those who like do pay attention to that sort of stuff sure yeah 
my thing is, is like, I can't get behind the Scientology stuff. Like, it's, it feels like such a cult because it is a cult. Although people would argue that organized religion at any level is a cult. So whatever. But I hate that. Um, I just know that he hates psychology. Like, because Scientologists don't believe in psychology, like, my whole, like, field is bullcrap to him. And so that, which, like, who cares if Tom Cruise, like, I don't care that he thinks that. I hate that people think that in general, though. Um, and, and, like, let's not forget that weird moment on Oprah's show where he, like, mm-hmm. jumped on the couch for uh, talking about um, Katie Holmes. It was so just odd. It. I will say this. He, like you said, as far as we know, he's never been physically abusive or accused of that like Brad Pitt has or Johnny Depp. He's so, definitely been emotionally manipulative. Oh, stuff for, like sure. for sure. Yeah. For sure. From what we know and about, so, um, you know, Nicole and Kidman. And so, yeah, and the fact that Nicole Kidman hasn't seen their adopted kids since they got divorced, that yeah. doesn't feel great. So, so it's hard for me to like reconcile those things. And so it's, it kind of goes back to the, like the question that I think that we've talked about a few times of like, how do you separate the art from the artist? And so, so I, and I appreciate, like, I do appreciate like his love of cinema and his desire for like, um, to like advocate for the cinema and for, you know, getting people into, into movie theaters and stuff like that. Like, I, I appreciate that, but you don't have to, yeah. Like you don't have to be a, uh, I don't know, manipulative Scientologist. Scientologist. So, well, the um, reason, the reason I wanted to ask you that and start that or, or cause is because the choice to show him that he had a at the very beginning he had a female partner that he may or may not have had feelings for but was definitely mm-hmm. like felt responsible for her death mm-hmm. and then his relationship with michelle monaghan and um in, in not in real life in the in the movie sure yeah. comes to an end because of his profession mm-hmm. and then in this movie spoiler alert rebecca ferguson's character ilsa gets killed by right. Morales. And it's just this very strange, like, and that's, that's why, I, why I was kind of harping on that. You really didn't need Isai Morales to be someone from Ethan's past mm-hmm. because there's already like this stress that he has about his team, not making it through. Right. And that him, that he may fail them and that he does fail. Ilsa. In a sense. Mm-hmm. And it's just a very strange parallel to like his real life and, yeah. and things that have happened in real life. So, and then you're kind of like, is Haley Atwell going to make it through the series? Like, is she going to? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I mean, not a great I don't. And he Morales even says that like at one point whenever he's talking to Grace in the bar, mm-hmm. uh, Haley Atwell's character. Yeah. Like, like lays all that out to, to her because she's known him for like all of five minutes. Um, has known Ethan Hunt for like all of five minutes, and so, so she doesn't really know who who she can trust. Also, I love that she like she's just a th- like a thief 
There's like really no, um, no higher stakes for her. She's just you know trying to get by, which I respect. And so she's like way out of her depth with all of this. And she's trying to get away for the first like half of the movie. Half it's the movie. Really, it's a really great plot. Mechanism. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, but it is interesting. Like I, I was thinking about that of like just these different female characters that have been in this franchise and how how they're portrayed um something that i was talking about i went with my friends tyler and scott to see this last night and so something tyler and i were talking about on the way home from the movie theater was um specifically Haley atwell's character like she's written in a way where she's like like i said she's way out of her depth doesn't know how to drive the car right and like is not this like secret agent spy person who can like do all these crazy things but she's like good at what she does and she's crafty and um smart and and is able to like find her way out of situations but they like make her flawed and not in a like a ditzy damsel in distress kind of way which i really appreciated um especially coming off of indiana jones Mm. Um, which I talked about, you know, in that episode. And so, so I really liked her character in this. Um, Probably the best formed, like, um, Rebecca Ferguson is just absolutely phenomenal. Oh yeah. In five, six and seven. And she is playing this hardened killer Mm -hmm. who, who like former MI6 turned syndicate slash, you know, like she's undercover, all that stuff. Haley, Haley Atwell is like, and this is this is kind of what I came away with from watching the movie, is exactly what this franchise needs, and mm-hmm. really like the casting decisions, um, more than anything, like including, you know, you have to have a vision like McQuarrie and someone like Tom Cruise who is one hundred thousand percent committed to jumping off buildings and like making mm-hmm. this a complete thrill ride has really elevated Mission Impossible to something that's, I think, better and more enjoyable than something like James Bond because there is humor and there is a great team supporting mm-hmm. the James Bond figure. Yeah. Getting Simon Pegg in there. Oh, Simon Pegg. Off of Hot Fuzz and yeah. um, Shaun of the Dead. And then carrying, it was so wise to carry Ving Rhames through as Luther. Haley mm-hmm. Apple brings a completely new and exciting dynamic as this capable but out of her depth rookie slash thief yeah yeah she's she's kind of like the antithesis of of rebecca ferguson's character of you know like you said she's ilsa is hardened she is just worried about getting the job done and is not concerned about anything else and will stop at nothing to get the job done uh whereas Haley Atwell's character of Grace is like, why are we doing it? <laughs> like, questioning everything is is like this is all of this is insane, um, and is kind of responding like like a normal person would, of just like why? What do you mean we're gonna do all this stuff? You're just gonna leave me on the train? I don't. I'm not gonna be left on the train like that. Which is fair. Um, so it was, yeah. I think I think she brought. Um, just a good different dynamic character and with a with that was also funny 
Um, the bit on the train where she, he's like, okay, you have to let me go. I'm going to jump over here. Mm-hmm. You have to let me get or And she just kept putting her arms around him yeah. and like holding on he's to like, him. He's like, stop, stop. And he's like, you stop. I need you to let me go. And she's just like, no, which is how I think I would respond in that situation of like, no, 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 no. You're not leaving me here. Also, yeah. I'm terrified of this. So she's having such a good time filming. And, and it's really like there aren't very many people who can. Because she she like in that scene. Um, her and Palm Clementif and um, and James and <laughs> James Bond. um uh, <laughs> Tom Cruise are showing demonstrating like athletic prowess. Oh and, yeah. And and that's that's again that's like why we go see specifically Mission Impossible and that Mission what Mission Impossible has that the Fast and the Furious doesn't have like in terms of this is just the most believable thrilling thing ever. Mm-hmm. This train sequence. I saw this movie with my brother uh and my mom. And they were both, all three of us were hooting and hollering like the whole time. Like oh, with yeah. our whole theater. Yeah. Um, but expect, like my mom was just just chuckling like crazy, especially with the Fiat scene. Oh, um, the Fiat scene was so good. It's so good. It's so funny. Um, that's one thing about this movie. It feels a, there's a little bit more humor injected into the uh-huh. into the action sequences. Um it's and when he smashes through the train window or into the train and saves mm-hmm. her without meaning to. Yeah. Um, it's very sudden, very slapsticky. The train is obviously like big Buster Keaton energy. So mm-hmm. it's one thing about this movie that was just really, really fun that uh Yeah. Yeah. Crazy and things I, are happening and like it's so yeah. So many crazy things happen. Palm Clementif's character, I really liked her as that character. Um, Tyler leaned over to me at one point in the movie and goes, who is that? And I said, it's Mantis from Guardians. And he goes, ah, that's who that is. That's who that is, yeah. Um, but she was, she was so funny. The part that I think I loved the most with, with her was, uh, when she gets into that big giant, like, SWAT vehicle and runs into all those, like, mopeds or motorcycles or whatever. And she does that little, (laughs) like, evil gremlin laugh (laughs) it was so funny (laughs) i laughed so hard at that for whatever reason um but man it was so good and i think i was i was just like man i would love to see her and more action her and Haley atwell and vanessa kirby we haven't talked about vanessa kirby either but like i want to see them and more like action stuff i thought they were so good vanessa kirby was in the fast and furious franchise wasn't she she was in she may have been in I maybe she was I in Hobbs and Shaw. Like, yeah, yeah. She so she plays. She's a uh, Jason Statham's sister. Sister, yeah. And she's a she's supposed to be the like romantic interest for The Rock in Hobbs and Shaw, and it's the oh, most okay. like ugh, like why yeah. did you have to do this? Yeah. <laughs> so unfortunately, I, she's amazing. Do you know she's in About Time? She's like the best friend. She's Rachel McAdams' best friend. Yeah, yeah. and oh she's like gosh. eating a huge donut at the end. It's so yeah. she's, she's amazing. She's so. I good. didn't realize she was in that. That makes, but yeah, that makes so much sense now. Um, not nah, Vanessa Kirby. I think I think she's underrated. Mm-hmm. So and she, it's it's also really funny too, and I'm not sure if you picked up on this, but like, it's hinted at that uh, she and Ethan like 
like hook up yeah. at some point. Yeah. And it's just like Tom Cruise just being like, look, I have to be believable as this guy. So like all these, all these women have to like, have yeah. at one point slept with my character. Yeah. Well, cause yeah. Cause at one point, uh, Ilsa says something about like, yeah. And you guys resolved that issue and you still haven't told me how, how and he just changes that. the subject. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, no, I, I did pick up on that. Um, which like it, the, in the in Fallout, when her character's first introduced, she like she kisses him at one point. She kisses she's him just at like, one point. Yeah. Um, and I was also, like, also she's like, she's, it's like is she twenty eight? Is she you know? Or I know she's in her thirties, but like yeah. she's just really I, how, young to be in yeah. such a position of power. And I didn't yeah. catch on to this. You may have since you watched one a little bit more recently than I did. But apparently, the woman in one is her and her brother's mother. Oh, which I didn't catch okay. on to until I was like kind of doing some research for this podcast, and I was like, "Oh, okay, that makes more sense." Because he, um, Kittredge, says that mm-hmm. he says like the deal I made with your mother kept her yeah. out of jail and blah blah blah. And now she's dead. So yeah. Um, anyway, it's kind of interesting fan service. Uh, yeah, I felt like there was a a little bit of fan service with this one, maybe more so than in the other ones I've seen, which. Even with the train, like you pointed out, like there's a train scene like yeah. in the first one, and then you have the returning characters with Kittredge and mm-hmm. yeah. So, but also, but again, not that not quite as seriously like a uh, role model or eyes on sort the of nose yeah, as like yeah. no other, at home other franchises. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, can we talk about how Tom Cruise runs? Just yes. ninety okay, degrees, so you, ninety true, degrees. True um, text message I received from Olivia. All caps, Tom Cruise running. That was it. Yeah. Did you know that it's actually not good form to, like, bring your hands up to your, like, jawline? It's better form to, like, keep them at your side, kind of like you're near your belt. So so Tom Cruise has poor running form. As someone who runs a lot, Uh I'm calling Tom Cruise out. Okay. All right. Well, I. But if I you're, hope, I mean, if you're sprinting, it probably doesn't matter. I feel like it doesn't matter. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I don't think it does. I'm just, I'm being a little ornery. He he's sprinting the whole time. It's not like he's going for a a long distance run. It's jaunt, it's a sprint. Yeah. yeah, it's not a jaunt. It's a it's a sprint. So I guess that's a little different. Were you um, were you thinking when you sent me that text? Were you thinking about um, or referring to the scene with all the candles? And he sprints for like a quarter of a mile, <laughs> and the camera just so follows far. him. Yeah, um, I was thinking about that scene. I was thinking about the scene where he ends up running on the air airport. Uh huh. <laughs> just so much, so much running. There's so much running. I really want to know, like, like how Tom Cruise trains for these movies. Like, what is his cardio secret? Tell yeah. us. It's. It's probably something that, he, like, he sold his soul to Scientology, and that's it's what he gets in return. Yeah, honestly. So, that might be his secret, but I just want to know. Like, you're just 61. Curious. He's the same think, age as my mom. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, like, he... I'm wondering how much 
special effects are being used to make him look a little bit younger because he does not on the red carpet he does not look the way he does no he doesn't i also noticed that i was like he looks a lot older which like this movie he i think when they first started filming this movie he was 57 yeah because of covid it was delayed a couple years like the filming process was delayed so he was like 59 i think when they finished and by the time I think he turned sixty one this year, so makes sense. Anyway, yeah. Also, I saw this crazy stat. Not stat. It's a fact. Um, he is older. As of this movie, Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise is now older than John Voight was when he was in the first Mission Impossible. Voight was fifty seven at the time. Whereas Cruz was 57 when the filming initially started and 59 when it finally wrapped and will be 61 when it's released. That's actually crazy because even in one, John Voight looks like really old. He looks like way older than he is. Yeah, he does. It's it's wild to me. But also I feel like that's like a common thing of like, looking at like older movies and seeing like people who are older in those movies versus people who are the same age as them now like the golden girls they're in their 50s yes i was talking to my boss about this the other day oh that's so weird yeah uh yeah they're in their 50s when the show starts but they look so much older than that which is why like betty white like you know, she, it's like she, I mean, she did live a really long time. She was almost 100 when she died. But she had that reputation as like an older woman for probably longer for like than half well, of her like life. Society changes that perception as too. That's what Julie yeah. and I were talking about is like, you know, Sex in the City portrays women in their late, early 50s, late 50s, so much different than when Golden Girls. Oh, yeah. Them. Yeah. It's yeah. just like, yeah, it's just fascinating how it changes. Keanu Reeves, for reference, is uh, 58. That's crazy. And, and it's it's interesting because he appears a little bit older than Tom Cruise, but in reality, he's younger. Mm-hmm. He just, like, you know, shows a little bit more of his age, even though he yeah. trains just as hard. So Right, yeah. Well, and I think Tom Cruise on the red carpet, like, you know, at, on the carpet or whatever, at premieres and stuff, he shows a little more gray than he does, like, in movies. Right. Whereas I feel like Keanu Reeves... I think in John, the John Wick movies, he doesn't have as he doesn't have any gray, but he he has more gray, I think, than yeah. than Tom Cruise does. Yeah. So. Um, recapping a couple things in the movie. Uh, did you see the? Did you, we we talked about the special or the little clip that they did talking about the uh, up close magic that he was mm-hmm. <laughs> doing sleight of hand with Haley Atwell's character and how he couldn't get it. Did you see that clip? No, but I read about it on IMDb's uh, trivia section. Is like, he really wanted to do it, but he, like, couldn't... After, like, several failed takes, they had to do, like, a little special effects for it. Um, mm-hmm. I just know Tom Cruise was so mad he couldn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, But the, the clip is hilarious because he is so intense, and he's just, like... He finally, like, kind of shows how... What he's his eyes look so almost manic whenever he's like he's like and then i couldn't get it you know he's like flinch he's like just jerking his body around it's so funny <laughs> so man um okay part two you think grace part. is gonna make it through 
Man, I really want her to. I also, think she will. I don't think uh, Pong's think... character is dead. I don't either. Especially because, I mean, they had that CIA character um, be like, oh, she's got a pulse. She's got a pulse. There's a and pulse. Like, yeah, yeah, I think she's alive. She's probably going to come back. Probably stronger than ever. Um, our queen. Our queen. And yeah, I. Man, is Grace going to make it? I feel like they are more willing to kill off a character than uh, like Star Wars or. Yep. You know, Marvel, especially Marvel. Because um, Alec Baldwin bit the dust. And yeah. yeah. When that happened, I was like, oh my gosh, did they really kill him? Yeah. And part of me, because we've seen, we've seen Isla's character, or Isla, uh, Ilsa. Ilsa's character die, die, quote unquote, so many yeah, times. Yeah, she like died, she fake died at the beginning of the movie yeah. and then actually died. I was like, I was like, she's not dead, she's not dead, but I think she oh, actually dead. is dead. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. Do you think Grace is going to make it? I really want I her think to. She, I think she'll be fine. I think okay. either Benji or Luther may, may die. Oh, man. That'll, um, be, or, that'll be real rough. Here's the thing. Here's an interesting thing that someone pointed out. Tom Cruise calls the entity. I mean, it's the AI thing is called the entity, first of mm-hmm. all. Second of all, like at one point, someone refers to it as like trying to kill God. Mm-hmm. And the key is shaped like a cross and it's literally called the cruciform key uh-huh and he's like i'm coming to kill you and your god and nowhere is safe for you and someone like i someone predicted that he's gonna die saving the world with the key that's shaped like a cross and it's like a very messianic you know parallel mm. so mm-hmm. i could see but he also said that he wants to make mission impossible movies like into his he said 80s. Did you see that? Like no. in the interview, he was like, I want to make these as long as I can. If I'm 80, I'll keep making them if I can. Man. It would be cool to see his character, like, for Ethan Hunt to die, but they continue the Mission Impossible franchise with, like, Haley Atwell's character or whoever. It can right. be another character for all I care. Um, but I, I feel like Tom Cruise is going to try to milk this for as long as he can and you know what i'll go see him yep same if they i, I mean lo- if they- I, this is my favorite you know this is my favorite franchise this man i don't know what my favorite franchise is but i think that this is definitely like i'm having to reconsider like i was not expecting to enjoy these movies as much as i have mm-hmm. and so it it feels kind of like out of left field but I mean, Mission Impossible might become my favorite franchise. Yeah. Which I never thought I'd say about Tom Cruise, but you know what? He makes good movies, dang it. Gosh darn it, he makes good movies. Gosh darn it, he makes such good movies. Since um, the Screen Actors Guild is on strike, the Writers Guild of America is on strike, basically all production on all movies is halted. Mm -hmm. Um, And so or major major films so we're almost definitely not getting beyond the spider-verse next year and we probably won't get i think that i believe that they filmed part of part two of dead reckoning Mm -hmm. um but it's not 
depleted and they need to do right. more filming. And so we're probably not going to get it until 2025 unless there's a really, uh, there's a resolution, you know, reached with the AM PTP um, very soon. So, right. Which, yeah, very soon would have to be probably within the next few weeks for us to get part two of Dead yeah. Reckoning at all next year, is my guess. Yeah. So, um, so. Scott Scott said, uh, I think it's funny that we get you this uh, movie pass thing the year that they go onto this major strike and mo- no movies are going to come out next there's gonna year. Be, there's going to be the equivalent of like, so do you know that the second Transformers movie, like the one that's, you know, pretty reviled, was a writer's strike movie? No, I don't think I realized it, When you watch it, it you're like, I, this is that's why this dialogue is incomprehensible oh i <laughs> didn't the I think is I like so, that. so crazy and bad so i didn't know that until recently okay, but it will that be, makes a lot more sense we just gotta enjoy it while we can you know we're and that's that's one reason why we wanted to talk about it today mm-hmm. is because we do have so we have barbie and oppenheimer coming up soon we have dune part two coming later this year i don't know how you feel about the wonka trailer i don't know how i feel about it either honestly we can t- we can touch on it um, yeah touch on it before we close we do have some fun things coming up and this is this has shaped up to be a very good movie year yeah movie killers of the year. flower I would say moon better. yeah killers of the flower moon we're gonna we're gonna be talking about that the bike riders hopefully is coming out um so we gotta enjoy it while we can you know that's right so yeah so do we want to like actually start talking more about the strike yeah, why don't or, you why don't you hit just the overview of the WGA um, when that started and just kind of like what what they're striking for and then I can follow up with SAG-AFTRA. Yeah, so so WG, WAG is the Writers Guild of, of America um, or WGA. Sorry, I was correct the first time. Writers Guild of America. Um, so this has been going on for. A few months now? May 2nd, I believe. Okay, so so a couple months now. Um, and they are striking due to the complications that streaming services have added to um, like residuals and being compensated for that. And then uh, AI-generated content. So it, it kind of does like work with our t- our mission impossible very uh, timely yeah, yeah very timely which also fallout was timely too because it came out two years prior to it was less timely but two two years prior to the pandemic and it talked about like an epidemic in that movie yes so yeah. interesting it was weird watching that on the other side of the pandemic yeah um anyway but um yeah, so there's there's these these concerns that the writers have of like they are not being compensated for, um, for their work. Uh, I saw I think the average writer in Hollywood makes like sixty nine thousand dollars, which is way more money than I make. But it's also mm-hmm. they live in L A. Yeah. and that's not a lot of money in L A. and um, so they're making that much, but then the CEOs of these companies like uh, Netflix and Paramount and Disney are making 
uh, signing contracts with a $27 million bonus. And so yep. it's like... Uh, it was you- pretty tone deaf because like this week it was announced that Bob Iger's contract as the former and now again mm-hmm. CEO of Disney his contract was extended by like six years or something mm-hmm. I believe six years mm-hmm. and his annual salary was reported to be 25 million dollars yeah and so it, it's that's all you need to know like there you can argue about economics of responsibilities and stuff like that but like that's that's all you need to know is that number 25 million dollars annually and right we you know that something is wrong that's that's right. like we just need to start there and yeah because a lot of people don't know like oh yeah like the strike is happening and like there's we have it in the dossier there are so many actors um covered by or represented by sag and even more like writers and they are not making <laughs> living wages um, right in in their market and let alone you know in the south where cost of living is so much lower so right and also part of it with like streaming services is like these shows are often shorter so so prior to streaming when a show was on a network a cable uh channel it would get you know anywhere between you know 18 to 22 sometimes 24 episodes so so there was way more work before and now you know shows are getting 10 episodes at the most 12 if you're lucky and so like that's half the work and they're not getting any compensation for how often the show is rewatched whereas prior once a show an episode of a tv show aired it would um have the original run and then like i think a week later there was compensation for every time it was it was aired mm-hmm. um and so so like families of shows of like actors who were in shows from like the 50s and 60s are still getting residuals yeah. from you know Lucille Ball being in I Love Lucy and the I Love Lucy reruns playing, right? So they're getting mm-hmm. residuals for that. Um, something I posted... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I posted this um, video to my Instagram story last night. It's a uh, Sean Gunn, James Gunn's brother, who was in Gilmore Girls, which mm-hmm. is a very popular show. And so he was in that show almost the entire consistently time. Consistently one of the most popular on Netflix. Yes, it's consistently... Rewatch, even though it didn't, it didn't, it didn't air on Netflix, right? Correct? Yeah, it was, I think, originally on the WB, which is now CW. Um, but like that was that was a show that was on TV all the time growing up, and now it's on Netflix, and people are constantly rewatching it. Like I know someone, one of my friends from church, she's like, I fall asleep to Gilmore Girls every night. Like that is a show she just kind of she has on all the time. And I know lots of people who who do that with Gilmore Girls, The Office, Friends, Parks and Rec, like like all of these like comfort shows. Sean Gunn doesn't see hardly anything from from that. And he's like it's not fair. 
I worked on that show. I put in the time and effort. I should be compensated for that. And like that was the really thing with compensated like compensated for its success. People yes. Are, people, and so and there's like this base level like the the main salary that they that actors and writers are getting from it, the initial work that they put in their show. They there's success is always an unknown. You don't know how mm-hmm. successful something's going to be, and everybody right. knows that. Every, like everybody who's working on that show knows, but they're putting in their best effort. If something is successful, and streaming really broke everything for yeah. for writers, directors, even though the directors are a little bit better off, and the directors are not on strike. This is the first time ever, I believe, that writers and actors have been on strike simultaneously because of these conditions. It's and, the first time yeah. since. Uh, it's the first time in sixty years. Ronald, okay. here's how how long ago it was. Ronald Reagan was the president of SAG the last time this happened at the same time. Ain't life crazy, Olivia? It's so crazy. <laughs> Who'd have thought that the president of SAG would go on to just shape our country and world in profound and negative ways? In so many negative ways. It's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Anyway, um, but I saw, I read that, stati- like that fact last night and I was like, that is wild. Yeah, and so. so and so when when uh, streaming began, you know there are a lot. There, all you need to do is look at follow Hollywood Reporter and Variety and and Deadline. They are covering these things a lot better than we can. We're just kind of like re- regurgitating um, the stuff that we're reading. Um, mm-hmm. There's one Harper's, Harper's Bazaar has a great article on SAG after strike, um, kind of summarizing all of it. But like AI and compensation are definitely the two overlapping things between between SAG-AFTRA and WGA and why they're striking. And streaming really broke all of this because that's kind of when residuals stopped being, like people still get residuals, but they're like a dollar, ten dollars. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's nothing compared to the success that they're seeing. And there's just the whole fact that um, Nielsen does report like, um, viewership but netflix and prime and apple like all of these these are tech companies they are not entertainment companies or streaming companies they're like Mm -hmm. tech companies first um because their algorithms and all that stuff they do not release their numbers you we don't we know what's in netflix's top 10 but we don't know we cannot quantify how many people watched gilmore girls or the flash or whatever in right in a week they don't release that right and if they did that would really mean that they would have to be held accountable for the way that they compensate the cast and the crew um and all of those contracts so it's right. like, it's it's very important it's very historic and so i think i think it's important for us to just take a little bit of time to you know just talk about it for a second right and and like all of all of your favorite actors and writers are are on strike yeah. um I saw a a picture of Killian Murphy, and it was like Killian Murphy's face when he found out that he doesn't actually have to do any promotion for Oppenheimer. I bet he's, I bet he's a happy, happy lad. Yeah, he's a happy lad. And um, but like, yeah, like they and they also can't do any more promotion, like promotional stuff. So they can't be on podcasts or late night shows or anything like that moving forward because of this is this is how like the strike has been set up and everything like that. Um, I do have a list of of every so here's everything that they can't do. Okay, this yeah. From, this is from Variety. Uh, actors cannot participate in principal on camera work. 
such as acting, singing, dancing, even stuff like puppeteering. Um, principal off-camera work, such as ADR, so they can't even come into the studio to do um, after-the-fact di- after dialogue, like mm-hmm. off-screen or whatever. Um, voice acting, singing, background work. Promotion of public- publicity service, like you were talking about, Olivia. Tours, personal interviews, interviews. Um, negotiating and or entering into or consenting to agreement to perform covered services in the future so they can't take new work mm-hmm. this is, that's and that's like that's big all of this is on hold their, their yeah. livelihood is on hold and for people like margot robbie and ryan gosling that's not a big deal but for even like younger famous people that we really like yeah they it's all on hold yeah, so. I was I was reading an article where it was like Sydney Sweeney from Euphoria was like, I don't make enough money to live in Hollywood just based on my acting salary. So yeah. she's like, so I and lots of other actors take on, you know, like um, basically like paid advertising gigs to compensate. So we you know we see these actors doing all these all these things and it's like wow they're just so money hungry and it's like yeah maybe but also like they have to make a living and they're mm-hmm. not currently you know even like with like a show like euphoria which like this is typical of like this has been historical of hbo shows is like they only have a 10 episode run but now it's still different because like how many more people are watching euphoria because of max and streaming Yep. Um, than they were like would have otherwise right and so like um, kind of the big like leaders with this are Meryl Streep, Jennifer Lawrence, Kiki Palmer, Olivia Wilde, Quinta Brunson from Abbott Elementary um, so like all of our movies and TV shows are going to be de- delayed which will suck for I mean, it sucks for us because you and I love going to the movies and that's something that we enjoy doing, but it also sucks because like all the TV shows that, that we've been watching are going to stop. And um, it's, I don't know, it's just annoying that these CEOs are more concerned about their bottom line than the livelihood of anyone who works for them and makes them their money. Yep. So... And it's it'll it'll be really interesting too. This is kind of like a tertiary piece of it, but there is part of this conversation is the whole like um, you know Indiana Jones was estimated to be like three hundred million probably with um, marketing, mm-hmm. and it's severely underperforming. Um, Elemental is severely underperforming. Um, people are I I, I really think that. Hollywood itself, most of the studios are looking at like, well, how can we like get more return for our investment and mm-hmm. less investment? For example, like Blum, like not that everything needs to be horror, but Blumhouse has been really good at this for forever. Just like mm-hmm. here's a fifteen million dollar budget, just make us thirty or forty million dollars, and we'll all be happy. And just doing that, like this economy of scale, going instead of everything having to be Marvel sized or Indiana Jones sized or Star Wars sized what if it all kind of leveled out so um yeah it's another another interesting thing just the whole business is changing in this um these strikes are in this double strike now is um evidence 
of all of that occurring mm-hmm. kind of all coming to a head and that something is is very very wrong yeah and i was reading i was reading a thread on twitter today or last night last night i don't remember anyway within the past 24 hours of um hollywood has not because it is so focused on franchises or at least it's how it seems it has not shaped or um given like scaffolding to any young actor to kind of become a like a leading man or woman per se um so that's why we have you know harrison ford doing his fifth indiana jones movie when he's well into his 80s and and can't can't really move and then we've got tom cruise who's now in his 60s he can move but he can move but you know for how much longer because i mean that dude has put so much his body through so much like it's gonna give out eventually um and we don't really have like a leading actor like that anymore because we're so focused on intellectual property and not new stories like don't like clearly we we really like this franchise we wouldn't have talked about mission impossible otherwise um but you know can we can we create a a new new franchise at some point you know like i think john wick is is probably a newer franchise that's been really popular um and very successful and successful fast and furious sort of I mean that's a fran- that's a newer franchise, and you know depending on who you ask, it's successful. Um, but even but, like the original stories that that we th- that's that's where our hearts are, and like there there is a desire for that. You mm-hmm. know, like yeah. even though you look at this year, Super Mario, I believe, is the number one uh, grocer of this year. Um, there's just there's this kind of turning on something that it's like hey we're gonna connect all the dots and we're gonna like reference all these things people don't want references people want something that is unrelenting and doesn't let go of you and mm-hmm. there's a way that mission impossible does that to where something like yorgos lanthimos's movie poor things with mm-hmm. emma stone that looks batshit crazy but a, yeah. like an original film yeah an amazing cast a visionary direction and it's going to like just here's our movie you're gonna watch every second because we put 100 percent into this movie mm-hmm. there there's just this there's this cognitive dissonance where um much like streamers grew because wall street told them you need to show us that your subscribers are going up mm-hmm. um, and we'll give you as much as you want well subscribers are going to stop growing and then and then they had right. to start providing actual revenue <laughs> generated and it's the same thing with like people there was this um not everything has to be superheroes Mm -hmm. or franchises or ip or like retro or like kind of like feasting on the past um andy greenwald on the watch described the dial of destiny as like feasting on our our necrotic society (laughs) feasting on Mm -hmm. the dead corpse of harrison ford and i was like yeah wow that's i (laughs) mean it's kind of true it's kind of true and that's why like you said we don't have any young actors coming up yeah other than stranger things well and like there are young actors who i think have the ability to be leading actors and actresses right like timothy chalamet is one of those um which 
I think we'll really see that with with Wonka when it comes out because that yeah. I mean Dune is more of an ensemble like it he's yes the main character but like Dune has the the ensemble you know yeah. um and so like I think he has the ability if given the chance I think Tom Holland has the ability Zendaya um, Zendaya for sure Zendaya uh Florence Pugh like the the young actors that you and I talk about a lot right yeah. And even I said it kind of dismissively, but the Stranger Things cast, like, legitimately, yeah, I think that they do too. And good and yeah, could I, I, I really do think that they have the ability, um, you know, Millie Bobby Brown, especially like her playing 11 when she was like 14 or however young she was, that I mean, was so good in that first season, especially. Um, and so, so like, I do think that that cast has the ability, Sadie Sink love Sadie Sink um so so could you see yeah. Finn Wolfhard as the new Ethan Hunt when they recast it in 20 years Finn Wolfhard as the new Ethan Hunt he would he's just flipping everyone off and being like I hate all of you and he goes like yeah <laughs> yeah with the snap um, um you know who actually I think would be good is Caleb McLaughlin oh yeah the I think no, he's, he, he's awesome yeah, yeah. I think he's been in more like maybe more serious roles than maybe any of the other actors from yeah. Stranger Things, but people um, I know want him for Miles Morales, and we'll see if that. I would that like happens. him for Miles. I have you ever watched uh, Blackish? I kind of want someone unknown to um, play him. Play him, yeah. Uh, I've seen where people have been fan casting one of the uh, the. Have you ever watched Blackish? Mm-mm. Okay, so so it's about a family, and um, there's a set of twins in the family, and it's there's a boy and a girl, and so the the kid who plays the the boy, his name's I can't remember what his name is, but the character's name is Jack. Uh, people have been fan casting him, okay. and I actually think it would be really good, because gotcha. um, he's he's really funny. And he's yeah. great in that show. So anyway, but all that to say, that's all I got. Um, yeah, for for that. Um, oh, Mission Impossible thing, real quick. Shay Wiggum didn't get quite as much to do in Dead Reckoning Part One as I was hoping, but oh, I yeah. love Shay Wiggum so much, and um, I hope he plays a critical role. I bet he. I think. He, I mean, he certainly will play a critical role in the in Part Two. So. Yeah, I think he will. Um, when he when also he popped, we don't know why he hates Ethan. <laughs> there's, I kind of just that love like, that there's no explanation. Yeah, it will. There's that thing like you've never met him personally, but this is personal, and he just kind of looks at the dude and doesn't yeah. say anything. So I'm sure yeah. something will come to light. So yeah, which that guy who says that who's kind of in his partner who's his partner the whole time, uh, he was in Top Gun. Yep. Yeah. He was, there a couple, he was good. I forget his name. Yeah. Um, and like he's kind of like, Tarzan what if he's actually the good guy? I like that there's like someone on the CIA that's like, what if he's actually doing this all for a good reason? Right. So, yeah, he, like, cool. he has a good reason. Yeah, I did like that too. So, um, You want to talk about what else we've been enjoying? Yeah. Let's yeah, Isaac, what have you been watching? Tell me about tell me about your film and television watch life. Let's talk about, um, let's talk about the bear. Because okay. we've both been watching that. I haven't seen the last two episodes, but I'm not sure if 
if you have finished the I second season? I haven't finished the first season. I've I've been slowly working my way okay. through because it's it's so good. I want to savor it. Um, Much like the Italian beef sandwiches that they right create, exactly. You yeah. Um. And, and I got to. I started the last episode, and I thought it was only gonna be thirty minutes, but I saw it was a little bit longer. So I was like, I need to give this my full attention, and I didn't have time to like watch it. Yeah. Um, of, of the first season. Of the first season, the yeah season one finale, but it has been so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love. Yeah, I, I really enjoy it. I, I get the hype around it. Like I remember when the first season came out, everyone kept talking about it, and I was like. I'll get to it eventually, which I'm eventually getting to now. Event- and now is eventually. Now is eventually. But yeah, it's it's great. I, I really enjoy it. So how how are you? No spoilers. No spoilies. How's season two so far? Can I tell you something? Tell me. Season one is very stressful. Yay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you are gonna love season two. Okay. All right. You're you're can't wait. you're gonna love it because it is you know, this is why we go to the movies. Like, t- and TV is, there was a really great um, interview with Spielberg. I think it was a while ago. I think it was around the time that Lincoln came out. And mm-hmm. because it was him and George Lucas, and they were talking about um, how TV is a much more adventurous landscape for creativity right now. Mm-hmm. And it's inter- it's fascinating that those historic directors are like, I they've identified that already. Or they mm-hmm. had even back then this was like over a decade ago and the bear is just the perfect so fx the way that the bear came about was christopher store and his sister um wrote the script together or or no him and um joanna callow i believe is the other showrunner mm-hmm. they wrote together his christopher store's sister is a chef i believe in chicago and is a consulting producer. They got a green light from FX. FX was like, you know what? This is really good. This is solid. We'll take a risk on it. And it blew up. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the most popular things on FX. It is. It was nominated for, I don't know how many Emmys this year. Um, it is just, and those are the credentials behind like like verify, verifying, verifying our collective praise for it. Mm-hmm. But that's it's just the perfect contrast to our, just this crazy, film landscape that Hollywood has entrenched itself in because of um, you know all the changes that have come because of streaming um, but season two is I believe even better and okay. it just builds in these just completely unexpected ways and goes in completely unexpected directions and it's the perfect example of a studio taking a risk and it paying off uh, like, like a good risk you know mm-hmm. and and studios don't do that anymore. They want there to be, well, can we sequelize it? Can we blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it was like, I'm still kind of in the business mindset from our previous discussion with the strike. But the bears, just some of the most cathartic, beautiful meditation on who we are mm-hmm. outside of what we do every day, mm-hmm. how we make time for ourselves. Season two really is how we about how we take care of ourselves. Okay. So you will find it very affecting and personal and really, really beautiful. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, my friend Tyler, his roommate was watching it and he, he caught a couple episodes. He hasn't, he hasn't watched it, but he worked in a, a kitchen 
when we were in high school and like when he was in college and he was like it feels very accurate of like what it's like to work in a kitchen environment like that mm-hmm. and how people talk to each other and that kind of thing um and he's like I don't know if, if I'm ready to watch it because it might hit too close to home. Um, and I, I've heard from people who have also worked because I've, I've never worked in a restaurant. Um, I tried I tried to avoid that if I could. And thankfully, yep. I, I did. Uh, but from what I've heard, it's uh, pretty accurate for people mm-hmm. who work in a restaurant. So, yeah. yeah. Love the yeah. bear. Everybody should watch the bear. Everyone should watch the bear. It's on FX. FX has good shows. FX is kind of low-key my favorite right now. I mean, they got our own Res Dogs. Res Dogs, know? which is the final season's airing in August. Mm-hmm. So that will be really good and also really sad. Yep. Um, it, has, it has Legion, which bonded us in college. Yep. So Still, like I think, like an underrated gem. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, FX is Especially really in our shows. current Marvel and DC hellscape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So we're both watching the, the bear. We also watched Past Lives. We did. We and we haven't talked about it on Flyover Film Country. No, we haven't. Uh, so, explain Past Lives. Past Lives is one of the most simple premises I've ever encountered in a movie. As of late, it's about two Korean, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, to Korean children who um, are sweethearts in grade school. And then the girl moves away. She moves to the U.S. To the U.S. Or no, to Toronto. Um, oh, you're right. And then they reconnect um, in college. And it doesn't work out. And she gets married. And he has never gotten over her. And she, he comes to see her in New York where she lives with her also writer husband mm-hmm. and that's it and it is beautiful it's and beautiful and, and moving oh it's devastating yep but like in the best way oh my gosh it's why Great. we go to the movies it's why <laughs> we go to the movies <laughs> heartbreak feels good in a place like this you know what yep. i'm saying nicole kidman she said it she yeah. said it if you have a life. chance to see past lives, please go see it. It is yeah. amazing. It is it is amazing. It's it it's beautiful. Oh, it's so freaking good. Greta Lee, that's her name, right? Mm-hmm. The actor's name. Man, she's so good in this movie. And I would love to see her in more things. Yep. yep. So Yeah. Um but yeah. Have you been watching Secret Invasion? I have. Okay uh i having kept I like up it. with it so do you, yeah. you want to give like an, an update kind of yeah so Secret it was Invasion posed is, to be is... marvel's andor so it's is not as good as andor i think andor is way better mostly the thing and we talked about this i think you walter and me talked about this uh on an episode when we talked about andor for a little bit what is so good about andor is it it could be set in literally any universe and it would still be really good. Um, and it doesn't really mention the overarching Star Wars storyline. It, it's literally just like trying to survive, you know, and, and trying to infiltrate and rebel against this corrupt government. Um, 
Secret Invasion doesn't have that same feel to it. It definitely hits on the Marvel overarching MCU storyline um, a decent amount. Not not as much as like other movies or shows have. I will give it that. Um, but, you know, I, I like it. I think it's probably one of the better shows they've had in a while. Um, and I, th- I think a lot of that is, you know, Sam Jackson is just he's Samuel L. Jackson, you know, and he's, so he's, he's just really great, I think, in it, and then I really like the cast as a whole, Don Cheadle, Olivia Coleman, um, what's her face from Game of Thrones? Um, yeah, Amelia Clark. Yeah, Amelia Clark. I could not think of her name. And so, so it's got a good cast, and Ben Mendelsohn's great. So, I might end up finishing it because Sam Jackson and Ben Mendelsohn were both really enjoyable in the first episode. Um, but I was I was very turned off by the. I, it's it's kind of like you know how in Mich- we didn't even mention the masks in Mission Impossible, but it's kind of like the same thing with the masks are used in a very kind of like very strategic way where mm-hmm. you're like, Oh, I forgot about the mask, you know, yeah. like, that they can put masks on. Yeah. That's my whole thing with like the scrolls. It's like, okay, so they've been here this whole time and, um, we're just now hearing about it. Um, but also like, I understand that they were going to build up the base camp and stuff, but that's why I texted you and I said, this should have been the plot of, um, Falcon and the winter soldier. Yeah. Because the whole immigration thing, like, it just it I in my opinion fits so much better with the scrolls plight and their you know their their current station than mm-hmm. what we got in that uh, right show. Well, and like with Secret Invasion, which just honestly with everything post Endgame for Marvel, just doesn't seem like anything was thought out past Endgame, right. which like is on one hand understandable because it's like you can't map out every single thing that's going to happen for the next, you know, 50 years in that universe, which if they do it for 50 years, my goodness. But, yeah. you know, they did map out like 10 years worth of of yeah, they storytelling. Did it, they did it successfully before. And so you're left wondering, like, uh, maybe you should go back to, you know, what you were trying before. Because <laughs> like, right. that worked a lot better. And so, yeah. So, like, one of the... Like, there's a character who is revealed to be a scroll, and it's like, has that person been a scroll this whole time, or or what? Because there's, first of all, there's no way they thought that far ahead. And second of all, it's going to really, I don't know, I am worried that the payoff is not going to be what I want it to be in this show. Because, yeah. as we've talked about before, every single Marvel uh, show or movie doesn't feel complete because it's just leading into the next thing. And so I don't think the payoff is going to be great for this, yeah. which will leave me disappointed and mad. I even watched it in the first place. I think that there was a big, and I know that they must've discussed doing this, but one of the reasons captain Marvel well, well, and this this just occurred to me, and 
I'm kind of like walking back my statement as I say, but <laughs> the scrolls were not they they were introduced in Captain Marvel mm-hmm. and then Captain Marvel and the scrolls really had Captain Marvel had a role in Endgame, but the scrolls had no role in right. anything. And so they were kind of like a setup for after that. But it's it's almost as if they maybe should have been introduced post Endgame. Um mm-hmm. I, I, it's just it's just one of those things where it doesn't feel you're you're like okay we know that they've been here for a while but why haven't they had more of an impact and why is it just now kind of right appearing and so it's it's one of those things where you Marvel made you care about things um, that connected to each other like Guardians and Thor and all that in the Thor's world but that quote-unquote world of captain marvel they just didn't do a great job of integrating Mm -hmm. that to where it's like i I watched it and i i watched the end of the first even the i won't spoil the character death at the end of the first episode Mm -hmm. of secret invasion but even when that occurred and it was a little shocking i was like man i still don't really care enough to keep watching and and i don't like that but that's that's just kind of where i'm at with it so well, and, like, I think you're right. I think that Marvel hasn't done a great job of, like, integrating certain characters and storylines. Like, you know, a lot of people were like, who cares about Cap? Like, when it came out, like, that was the big thing. It's like, why are they we... They made you care about something that seemed really stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, the same with Black Widow. Is like, we're getting a Black Widow movie after she died in, uh, not Endgame, the one that came out before. Before in game, Infinity War. Thank you. Uh, why are we doing this? And, and so, if you watch them in order, which like my friends Vic and Noelia and I watched the MCU movies in order a couple years ago, and, and after that happened, after we watched Black Widow, Vic was like, "Okay, well now I care way more about her, and this makes way more sense now." Yeah. And the same for Captain Marvel, too, is, like, we finished it, and it was, like, which I already knew, like, we all already knew this, is, like, okay, well, this makes more sense, but, like, that she's off, you know, trying to find other worlds and protect other worlds and all that, but, like, it just feels like it's an afterthought. So, so I don't know if the payoff is going to be there for Secret Invasion. I'm not expecting it to, because why why would Marvel do that for any of us? But... Mm. That's why would they at. do that? Yeah. Why would good, they do that? Good point. Um, I, real quick, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because I don't think you've watched either of them. I finished David Lynch's filmography. That was kind of my uh, pledge Congrats. of this year. So yeah. thank you. Yeah. Uh, hey, I, that well, that is on our movie resolutions that's sitting up here. So I can yes. check that off for you. I think you're the only one who's like Did finished, who's, who's finished a goal. It was one of those, like, I had two more of his movies to watch and so i've watched the straight story and inland empire this year mm-hmm. um maybe lost highway i don't remember um anyway inland empire has is one of the most haunting like atmospheres of a movie i've ever seen it's almost three hours long mm-hmm. and there is a jump scare at the very end that just shook me to my core and i'm at home alone this weekend and <laughs> i couldn't sleep for a while and so oh no um, i didn't know that it was really really scary but empires like um uh it's it's just like a very deep layered sort of 
it's a it's a movie about making movies and how you lose yourself in a character and laura dern is really really good in it um jeremy irons justin thoreau um and so that's one side of the coin the other side of the coin something that something else that we watched recently was the pirates of the caribbean movies which is also in contention for another one of my favorite franchises they're mm-hmm. so fun mm-hmm. gore verbinski and jerry bruckheimer just like I just, I just love those movies so much and I think that they're going to age so well, um, including all the elements with Kira Knightley being a strong female protagonist um, mm-hmm. who's capable of holding her own. But Dead Man's Chest remains my favorite movie in that franchise. It's so scary because of the Kraken as someone who's afraid of the open sea. Um, so I just had to shout those out real quick. I saw a tweet recently that was like, I like the beach, but anything that happens below the surface of the ocean is none of my business. Yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> and just going to be feel. comfortable right here. No, I'm going to stay right here. Uh, Larry David going, he's like, I don't understand why people go into the beach. I come out here and I look at it and I'm like, okay, we get it. <laughs> <laughs> we get it. No, that's yeah. honestly how I feel about the beach, too. It's like, I'm just sitting there. No, thank you. Yeah. Um, I can sit inside. Two TV for you. You finished Yellow Jackets? I finally finished Yellow Jackets. Um, yeah, I don't know how and, I and feel. And then I want to hear about whether shrinking is an accurate portrayal of therapy. Oh my gosh, shrinking. I have really mixed feelings about shrinking because it's a Bill Lawrence show who did Scrubs and Ted Lasso. And I really love like that sense of humor. And it's funny. It's it's like a good show. And I'm, I'm, I'm interested in these characters and like all that. But it just, it makes me so mad because... And that's the kind of the whole premise of the show is like Jason Seagal's character is he just kind of snaps, which like you learn pretty early. Like I think in the first episode that his wife died a year ago um, due to a car accident. So it was a sudden death. And um, you learn more about you know his relationship with his wife and all that throughout the show. And so he, he just kind of snaps and starts telling his patients like, what his thoughts are and how he thinks they should handle stuff like one Heidi Heidi Gardner from SNL she is in a relationship with a a, an abusive husband and uh he finally is just like just leave him you've been complaining about this for a year over a year just leave him like just and she goes oh okay And, and so she does but then there's repercussions for that and so he gets he has to pay the consequences of his unethical behavior. But what, what really like infuriates me is like, he works at a private practice and he's in consultation with, you know, Harrison Ford's character, who's his boss. And then his, uh, colleague and not one time did anyone go, Hey, maybe you should go to your own therapy and process any of this. So is it just like their relationship is kind of the quote unquote therapy, like him and Harrison Ford's relationship? Yeah, so Harrison Ford's character is more of like, this is not, like, you're being unethical and you need to stop this because it's going to come back and bite you. And then when it does, he's like, I told you so. And and Harrison's Ford character is kind of like his, almost like a mentor, father figure type of character for him. And his Harrison Ford will, like, meet with, Jason Seagal's daughter, who's a 17-year-old kid who's, like, she lost her mom and kind of lost her dad, too, because he's, like, too busy in his own stuff. 
And so she meets with him and, like, talks to him about, like, what's going on and, like, what she's dealing with and everything like that. And so kind of has, like, a grandfather-granddaughter type of relationship to it. Um, so, like, he cares about Jason Zagal, Jason Zagal's character and everything. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's it's not... It's not strictly professional, but it's just like, man, did anyone go, hey, buddy, you should go to therapy. Yeah. That, well, Which that, was, that, I assume that that would be the premise, but that's interesting that it's not. Yeah. Would you overall recommend it or not recommend it? I would recommend it. I would just say if your therapist starts doing any of those things, please do not continue going to that therapist. So go. it's funny and I like the characters and... Uh, it's heartwarming kind of in like a uh, Ted Lasso way. Cause Brett Goldstein's also a producer for this show as well. And so it's, it's, they're f- all flawed characters and I appreciate that too. Um, so there were a couple Lord. times where I was like, Oh, this is so cringy as a therapist yeah. and a person. Uh, but it's really funny. It's not a show I would watch with children. Uh, a lot of lot, a lot of, of language a lot of language uh there's no nudity but there's definitely sexual content yep. and so i wouldn't necessarily watch it with uh little ears around there we go so how about uh yellow jackets <sighs> yellow jackets i we're we're returning to the pin from a couple episodes before yeah i don't know how i feel about the finale of yellow jackets um, I I won't say who they killed off, but they killed off a character, and I was shocked that they killed this person off because she's my favorite character. Yeah. So shocked by that, but also I appreciate. I don't know. I don't know. How do you feel about the finale? I I I nothing has changed since you and I talked about it. Um. I feel that that death was not warranted. Yeah. I feel like there is too many things unanswered, unexplored that the writer's room tried to kind of just brush past. Mm-hmm. And I was just incredibly frustrated and um, turned off by this season. I won't be returning to season three. All right. I will yeah. probably return to season three. I say that I am really bad about finishing shows. So <laughs> who knows if I actually finish or stick, uh, stick around for season three. Um, I just I kind of just want to know what happens, even though I haven't loved season two in the same way I loved season one. When but this season got happens. a little bit more supernatural and you see the ghost man uh-huh. in the suit, I was hoping that this would, because Twin Peaks clearly has been an inspiration for sure. Yellow Jackets, and I was yeah. hoping that they would just lean fully into the weirdness. And mm-hmm. like, and I, I think I said this to you, um, the thing that happens at the end of, se- of episode two of this season, uh-huh. and a ghastly abhorrent thing yeah something like that needs to be happening in a show that claims to be this terrifying and shocking and unnerving Mm -hmm. and i was just like the rest of the show was just kind of laughable so yeah like it 
it peaked it, at that it felt episode. felt like it was masquerading. That's that's kind of my final. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like it peaked at that episode and cuz I was like, "Oh my gosh, if this is how the rest of the season is going to go, I am going to have to like really prepare myself for every single episode." And then it was just like, "Eh, we're just kind of dinking around." And it's like, "But why?" Right. Yeah. So, and there's there's an argument that could be made that you they could have ended the first season with that culmination yeah. of the second episode and then be like they would have it would have probably been a little bit more of a better cap than the end of how, like I, th- I thought season one was really good i really really mm-hmm. enjoyed it even the end i was like okay like cool ready for the next season yeah really excited but it'd been it would have been even better if they're like hey it's all leading to cannibalism mm-hmm. so yeah let's just end it with cannibalism <laughs> and yeah. then like kind of regroup um there yeah, i was just pretty frustrated with this with this one yeah no i totally understand that uh it was just it wasn't as it was nowhere near as strong as the first season and i just feel like it wasn't which like i don't like scary stuff we know this about me everyone knows this about me i'm a baby but like even with this show like i was more willing to lean into it and it I think I was disappointed that it wasn't as like scary or intense as, it, yeah, as I wanted it to be. Because as it the was show claims so, to be, it was so grounded in its extremely well written characters in season one, and that's why you could kind of like, oh my gosh, like what is going on with them? What are they experiencing? It was yeah. so personal, mm-hmm. and the relationships between everyone was so were so interesting. Um, it succeeded more in the past. Uh, with them in the woods in the snow mm-hmm. than it did with them as adults in this season. Yeah, I'll give I it agree that. With you. Um, yeah. And I could have done a show or a season with just them in the woods. Um, oh, yeah. I think that would have been a lot more appropriate. So, um, yeah. so wrapping up, I'm seeing Insidious the Red Door this afternoon. Ooh. Patrick Wilson directed it. I'm seeing it with Walter. I was about to ask if you were seeing it with Walter. I love that you guys are going to go see that together. That's great. I haven't seen any of the other ones except one. You haven't seen any of those, correct? Absolutely not. No chance. No chance in hell. (laughs) No. Yeah. No, no, no. Insidious was the movie that my brother watched. Excuse me. He watched... My brother, when we were in, like, middle school and high school, he went through this huge scary movie phase, which he still likes scary movies, but he was watching them all the time. And Insidious was the one that really did a number on him he slept with the light on for a year and i think he was in the ninth grade when he did that yeah um he said it was it was the scariest movie he's ever seen so i will never watch it so i'm chuckling because i remember so vividly the first time i watched insidious and how unnerved i was Um, yeah there's a scene where they rose Byrne and patrick wilson's characters are going through some marital strife uh-huh. and he's sleeping on the couch downstairs. She's sleeping alone. And there's a terrace outside there, a wraparound terrace outside their master bedroom upstairs. And there's a figure walking Mm-mm. around just mm-hmm. like you hear the footsteps No, and he's walking around and around back and forth, kind of like around no. the corner. No. And then out of nowhere, he's just walking into the room and he turns and looks at her and it is like, like i still get chills thinking about it it's no. like one of the best mm-hmm. scares ever absolutely so. not no, no. so no. seeing that and then um would you want to wrap up just uh give it a little plug for joyride yeah guys joyride is so funny 
it is about these two childhood best friends who grew up in really white suburbia and they are the only two uh chinese girls and they're the only two asian girls in, in their entire town so they become best friends uh and really bonded and one of them is like this really successful lawyer who was trying to you know just prove prove that she had worth the other one is like an artist who's just kind of um being an artist and they end up going on a business trip for the lawyer to china to try to seal this deal and um all sorts of shenanigans ensue it's i had seen the comparison to bridesmaids and i was like that is a bold comparison but it really does kind of have that that feel of like these childhood best friends kind of going through it and figuring out like why are we friends and uh how to navigate through these these different situations that come up it's really funny it's i would say it's raunchier than bridesmaids because they're really the only like sex scene that happens in bridesmaids is like pretty early and it's pretty quick (laughs) and so Um, funny (laughs) it's also pretty funny and then with joyride this happens about halfway through the movie and like multiple there's like multiple scenes happening at the same time and so it kind of cuts between all of them um but it's also pretty funny and there's nudity in this but it's also hilarious like when it happens i was like oh i was shocked that it happened um but it was really funny so it's it's good you'll laugh you'll feel a little emotional because there is a moving part to this storyline um and it's it's directed i can't remember who directed it um but it's got an asian cast and the director also wrote for crazy rich asians I believe. crazy rich asians yeah. yeah adele lim that's her name adele lim she wrote for crazy rich asians raya and the last dragon uh which i haven't seen but i've heard it's pretty good mm-hmm. and but crazy Eric rich asians it. was was great um so yeah i think you know go out support uh, female directors, female-led movies, especially when it's uh, individuals of color. So go see Joyride. It's it's a blast. It's a fun, fun movie. Go grab your girlfriends and do it. I have a feeling that I will wish that I had seen Joyride instead of Insidious, the Red Bull, <laughs> tonight. Go go afterwards as a, like a palate cleanser. I might. I might have had so. time. Um, any final thoughts, Olivia? I don't know. No, that's, just that this strike re- resolves pretty soon i yeah that's that's my and hope our corporate is that, overlords grant livable wages yeah stupid corporate overlords yeah so i mean if those corporate overlords want to give us any money that'd be cool too and we can yeah i, yeah. I will take it i will sell out so fast <laughs> i will sell out so fast so fast no any final thoughts from you isaac um nope just uh please remember to rate review subscribe um if you like this share this with um people in your life who love mission impossible and our next episode is going to be barbie barbie's finally here come on barbie let's go party yeah Uh, hell uh, uh. yeah do you guys ever think about dying (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh man. So good. I can't and wait. Then Oppenheimer's after that. Oppenheimer's after that. And then I believe Hot Rod is after that. <laughs> so yeah, Oppenheimer will be our last blockbuster summer film. Will you be reading the 530-page American Prometheus, the story of Robert J. Oppenheimer, in preparation for the pod and the movie? No. Will okay. you? I've listened to part of it, and it's fascinating. He was a very, very interesting and complicated person. Mm-hmm. And I want to finish it, but I don't think I'm going to be able to. I don't think I'm going to finish it by the time the movie comes out, because as of this recording, it comes out in six days. So I might be spurred to learn more after the movie in which case i'll probably finish the audiobook i do want to read flowers of the killer nope killers of the flower moon (laughs) flowers of the flower flowers of the flower moon killers um i do want to read that before the film comes out and one of my friends that's like her all-time favorite book so i'm thinking i'm gonna borrow it from her yeah so there we go there we go Um, and our music is by cord and jocks our art is by macy lummis they are little rock artists go check them out and yeah our next episode is barbie and we will see you guys on the flippity flip flip at the bottom of the ocean with the crucifix (laughs) cruciform key with the goober with the goober with Haley atwell hopefully